I've had most of my health scares and ended up in the mental health hospital twice in the last year and a half. The first time I was in mental health hospital, I got out and I did Ironman Arizona three days out of being discharged. That was Shane Mascarin, and this is episode 23 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Shane Mascarin is a 46-year-old range biologist from Wainwright, Alberta, with an impressive endurance sport resume. He is a roadrunner, trail runner, and triathlete who has completed approximately 10 marathons, over 35 ultra marathons, including 14 100 milers and the Moab 240, as well as 10 full Ironman competitions. I, Kim, met him somewhat virtually in 2016 when we were fellow Salming ambassadors, and we got to know each other better at the 2018 Canadian Death Race, where Shane has been a five-time solo finisher. Shane is a very high-functioning person and athlete, and he has recently become more outspoken about the challenges he has faced with mental health illness, and we feel he has a really important message to share. In this episode, we talk about the difficulties he has faced seeking help in our current Canadian medical system, how running has helped him cope, and how he puts his running lows into perspective, as well as how important it is to have more conversations like the one you are about to hear. Shane is currently an ambassador for Hammer Nutrition Canada, and we'd actually like to give a shout out to them for not asking him to be anyone other than his true authentic self. Thank you, Shane, so much for coming on our podcast to share your thoughts and experiences with us. Hi, Shane. Welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Carolyn and I are so happy to have you today. Thanks for inviting me in on this conversation today. So we actually have you held hostage right now uh, because you are stuck in your easy chair. You just had surgery a few days ago, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, Friday afternoon, I had uh, my pectoral muscle um, tendon reattached. So before we get into who you are and your running history, we have to hear this story because I understand it was a running related injury in which you tore your pectoral muscle. Yeah, it <laughs> it's kind of a rare injury to begin with. Uh, it's mostly when you research it up. When I when I researched up uh, what I had done and what to expect, it's mostly um, with weightlifters bench pressing. So it's not a very common, if at all, from running. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those weird fluke accidents. I never would have thought my first serious running injury with all the mileage and races and mountain stuff would have been just a leisure leisure uh, run with my dogs. It was just something I was holding on to a chain coming downhill off a mountain and my dogs pulled one way, my arm was holding the other way and basically kind of split myself in half. So, Wow. And so they decided to do surgery fairly quickly. Yeah. So it would have, I heard it on January 1st. I think the next day I went to merge after working and going, ah, it's, it's not getting better. Something's not right to, yeah, ultrasound uh, last Monday. So a week after the injury. And then I saw my surgeon on Thursday. They had hoped to actually, if the ultrasound was correct after my assessment, they thought 
I might even get it done that day. It ended up being Friday. It happened all fast. I really didn't even get a chance to really uh, get too nervous or think about it race-wise or athletic-wise. It was just like, okay. Well, at least it wasn't your legs, right? Yeah. It wasn't a hamstring. And, you know, um, for trail runners, really, the most common injuries are the traumatic injuries. They don't tend to get the overuse injuries as often. I mean, I have a friend who just broke her humerus from a fall from trail running. It can be some crazy injuries. So we hope that you heal up quickly. Um, Okay, so let's get into who is Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself and your life. Okay, um, yeah, so I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, and then went off to a university in Lethbridge. That's where I met my wife. We were both at university there, and uh, from there, ended up uh, taking a job here at the CFB Wainwright, and I'm a biologist there. We've been here about 20 years. Uh, my wife works at the Merge in the hospital here. And we have uh, twin daughters. They're 17, so grade 12 this year, big year. Unfortunately, with COVID, a lot of uncertainty, but it is a big year for them. Yeah. And how did you get into running? Like, I understand it's a big part of your life and triathlons, right? Yeah. Over the last 10 years. So tell us a bit about your intro to the sports. Yeah, so I never did really any of the activities that are in triathlon until probably about 2010 I or maybe a little bit earlier just playing with it but my first race actually was until 2010 it was a local 5k actually on the army base and um, my wife had started running and doing some triathlons so I kind of joined in I watching it just to take part in the activity but I couldn't keep up to her so I did some training did this race and then kind of watched some triathlons with her I think I had joked around a little bit that, oh, that doesn't look too bad. And then she kind of almost like dared me into it to do a triathlon. <laughs> we first did a relay and I was like, oh, that's not too bad. And then, you know, went to the next um, step of doing it. And it was, it was really hard. <laughs> I think it was a sprint triathlon. So I'm not sure what the distance was at that time, but, you know, three to five kilometer run at the end. And I think I walked a bunch of it, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot harder than I thought, but I caught the bug and kind of took off from there. So your intro to endurance sport was triathlon, and you still do um, <clears throat> a lot of triathlons. We'll get into that in a minute, but um, at what point did you start doing more running and then get into, you know, ultra running? Um, it was a quick uh, progression, really, so considering 2010, I did the first 5k and then I did a probably a couple sprints that year by 2012 I did my uh, first Ironman in uh, Penticton it was the last one they had there before I moved to Whistler and then that year I'd also done a relay death race with some co-workers and then 2013 I soloed death race uh, and that kind of brought me into all those disciplines at the same time and I I still do a combination of of uh, triathlons and ultra running. So that brings up a good question because I've struggled with how to describe you. How would you describe yourself? Do you identify mostly as a road runner, a trail runner, an ultra runner, a triathlete, or just all of the above? Yeah, I, I think I consider myself just an endurance athlete if I was going to label myself because I do like it all. Like I, I enjoy 
racing, you know, a road marathon. I think it's one of the more challenging. It, trying to Boston qualify is just as hard as a hundred mile. It's just different and same as Ironman. So they're really hard to compare. And I, I do like doing them all. So I, I, I yeah, I consider just, I do endurance events and kind of not put a label on. Does this speak to your personality a little bit that you went from the sprint triathlon to the Ironman all within two years? <laughs> Is that yeah. like very much your personality? Like, tell us a bit about your race history, not just in triathlon, but in, in running and ultras as well. Yeah, I think it jumped really fast. It's yeah, it, it does go back to, I think I'm just personality wise with my, um, with my mental health how I kind of handle it. Um, probably a little OCD where, where I definitely get obsessed with stuff. And so I would say definitely it was an obsession just to go into the distances. And unlike some runners that I listen to anyways and read books about is I'd complete a distance and be like, oh, was that it? It wasn't a life-changing experience. I don't know how many times, you know, I've been at Sinister 7 or Death Race or something. They're like, Oh, it was life changing. I, you know, like I'll always remember this. And I kind of finished. I'm like, okay, there must be something else. Like mm-hmm. it's always that look. That's how I ended up at Moab 240. Was like, there's a race. You know, I might not finish. It's scary big. It's travel. It's mount. You know, high elevation, deserts, all this stuff. And um, again, it was kind of like went there and okay, did that. So um, I think yeah, it's part of the way I'm always trying. I guess to challenge myself. Wow. So (laughs) you just dropped a lot of stuff in there that I want to explore further. Um, You, you kind of summarized, you know, a few triathlons, Canadian death race, Sin 7, Moab 240, which is a huge jump. You know, you've, you've done quarantine backyard ultras and you've done, I think 10 Ironmans and ultra 520, which what is an ultra 520? Um, so it was kind of a new branded race. It took over from what most uh, triathletes would know as Ultraman. It's a stage triathlon over three days. And the distances are about, well, they equal to 520 kilometers. So it's 10K open water swim. The first day with, I think it's, I don't know, 130, 140 ride on the bike that day. Then the next day is 250, 275 kilometers uh on the bike and then the third day is uh, 50 mile or 84k uh kind of trail run on gravel roads and such like that so wow so i went from yeah iron man okay did that <laughs> to let's see what <laughs> you know Ultraman. see was. that's what i'm talking about it does this speak to your personality <laughs> yeah <laughs> it does <laughs> Okay, you gave us the perfect segue uh, a few minutes ago. You mentioned that you have a, a mental health illness or MHI. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned before that it, it is a tough to me, to me and on social media, it's a tough topic. And you've said that it needs to be more open. So first off, thank you so much for coming on this podcast with the plan to, to be open a bit about this topic and talk to us about it. So tell us. A bit about that, about your mental health illness. Yeah, so I think first step of mental health awareness and um, getting it more mainstream and accepted that it's out there is just admitting that we have it. Like for myself as, I mean, there are big words, but yes, I have a mental health illness. 
like it's not just talking about and stuff it's you know just acknowledging it it should be no different because it's always compared when we're talking about medication and it should be okay that you know it's not hard to talk about or it's kind of hidden in the background if someone has diabetes in your office but you say you went to a mental health hospital or you have mental health illness and all of a sudden it's hard to make eye contact but you you wouldn't do that with another illness mm-hmm. so i think that's where we need to to change it to help. that's how we help someone i think with mental health issues mm-hmm. definitely and and do you experience that yourself like have you been on the receiving end of of feeling like uh somebody judged me yes yeah like have you felt that from anybody when you've said said i have mental health illness i personally really haven't had that i have put more of like a personality disorder and then social anxiety ish kind of combo it's why we use the illness because i think it's hard to label a lot of mental health we can't tell for sure like you can be diagnosed you know by different mental health issues so it's kind of why you know mhi just works because mm-hmm. you know how long have you been aware you had a quote mental health illness like what was your path to diagnosis did you know something wasn't right long before you had a diagnosis or was it a fairly rapid process i obviously had some of the conditions probably throughout my throughout my life but uh it kind of came more serious in the last couple of years probably especially the last year and a half and so i guess going back to the question before about if i experienced kind of judgment and such it's i really haven't because someone with like myself is uh, with social anxiety and kind of personality is i i'm not around people so um and you kind of don't really care what other people think with my particular disorder so i didn't really uh get too hung up on what other people thought but i do know other people you know have those issues some people that were close to me um knew something wasn't right probably at times and then i think it was a surprise to people around me because i am fairly high functioning so you chose you know a sport sports where you do get to largely be alone most of the time it's like the perfect fits for somebody with social anxiety disorder from what i would think so in that way the sport i'm sure you know helped you but i'd like to get into that a little bit more if we can first start with just what are some of your biggest challenges in the context of your your illness as well as just with running I don't know if there's been really huge challenges like ultra running, Ironman, anything long distance, whether it's long distance skiing or whatever, is a lot of alone time. So it's perfect. And really in my career as a biologist, I'm by myself too a lot. So I've picked a life that, you know, suits my my strengths. The long runs by yourself and stuff that a lot of people have as a mental... Um, pickup and such like that wasn't for me. I don't feel like a lot of the mental health issues are or any kind of hindrance in uh, my training especially probably until the last past year when we've experimented with different medications as it got worse. Weight gain obviously is a big one for an athlete. 
it's funny when you go for mental health and you're like asking about that kind of stuff because that's not something that's normally on their radar. It's still a big deal to a lot of people, but you know, athletes especially, it's like, well, I'd rather be a little crazy than overweight, and they kind of look at you like you really are crazy because <laughs> it's it's not uh, it's not something they deal with as much because there's just not a lot of high performance or high um, functioning endurance athletes, I think that are, you know, getting help and such. So it's something different. Like there's the drugs have to be, you know, enough that's not weight gain that I'm not having high blood pressure or changing my heart rate and such like that. And which I've had to deal with. So it's a little tricky that way is getting meds. Mm-hmm. Well, and it almost sounds like running is is part of how you cope with it too, right? It's that alone time. It's like time to to be with yourself and, and sort of get away from anything that may provoke that social anxiety. Am I hearing that correctly? Like how does running help you here and triathlon? I think, yeah, the, the endurance events help because it's um, honestly, it's excuse to be alone. Like I'm training, I'm mm-hmm. training, you know, so you can do that on your own. Um, it's hard to find, especially in a small town, someone that wants to go ride for a hundred miles or, run a long run and such like that. So mm-hmm. my head spins and that's where I get into a lot of my trouble is like intrusive thoughts and such like that. So running, you can, you can deal with all those. It doesn't always help. Obviously I've had most of my health scares and ended up in the mental health hospital twice in the last year and a half, like six months apart. So it doesn't cure it. Um, <laughs> so it's funny when people go, have you tried exercise? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, mm. um, I probably run more than a lot of people. So it doesn't cure it. I, In fact, the first time I was in mental health hospital, I got out and I did Ironman Arizona three days out of being discharged. I actually trained while I was in the facility. So it doesn't cure it, but it, it can help at times. You know, you read that, how it's changed a lot of people. And I'm so happy for those people, but it doesn't always for everyone. Do you sometimes find yourself in an unhealthy relationship with running as a way to cope or not? I don't think so because I really like the science of running and, you know, the zone two training and the building that aerobic base. And I like rest days. Um, Unlike a lot of my run friends, I like a good rest day. I don't mind taper weeks and such like that. So I, I don't think... But it probably it probably gets more into racing probably starts to get maybe a little unhealthy because you're trying to do different disciplines and try to fit them all into a shorter race season like we have in in Canada. So I think that's where it starts to get a little unhealthy because there's some back to back you know races and such like that 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 maybe um, it's not not only is you're not recovering your body, but you're not letting that, your mind get that rest as well. Right. So like I've heard you say, you're not really, you don't consider yourself a high mileage runner, but you kind of use races as training (laughs) for the next race. (laughs) And you're like, I, I've watched you, you know, on on social media and chatted with you and it's, yeah, you're either recovering from one race or tapering for the next, it seems the entire summer, but you seem to manage to make it work. 
quite well, which I probably is a testament a bit to your family. <laughs> they seem to offer you a whole lot of support. Uh, yes, no? Uh, yeah, um, definitely couldn't do it without them. Um, my wife is probably uh, my biggest cheerleader and critic, <laughs> but she, you know, she's crewed me um, my, and my girls have crewed. They, they've grown up at ultras, being in the middle of nowhere, waiting for dad to show up, hopefully with no time um, at ultra 520 it was a self-supported triathlon so they were out on the road handing me water bottles from a vehicle when i need like at designated areas and stuff like so they've kind of grown up that way that's the summer that's our holidays and then in the in the winter when my one daughter's at dance we make sure i get to all the dance festivals and my other daughter's in hockey and i get to all of those i've ran more 20 meter laps probably uh around a rink watching a hockey game or practice the most <laughs> so yeah it's blending it all together but we've managed it for the most part mm-hmm. and what else has helped um in this way so you you use exercise we know that that's not a cure but it does help right and yeah. it helped you you've mentioned a couple of times that you've ended up in a in a facility right yeah. in a hospital uh as an inpatient a couple of times. So I'd love to hear more about that and possibly what they prescribe, whether it's medication or counseling or talk therapy, like what is that like? They're awful experiences, to be honest. Um, It's somewhat like you see on TV. Uh, I've been in twice um, into the hospital for mental health illness. Um, The first time was voluntary. Um, I knew I wasn't handling life well. And so it was kind of the last resort. It wasn't a, a great experience and it wasn't really helpful. In what way? Yeah. The treatment, unfortunately, the whole issue, that's why I think we need the bell, let's talk day and then mm-hmm. to move on is there's just not enough mental health therapists and psychiatrists and such like that. So you're just rotated through and a mental health hospital, I think, is quite different. than mo- It's mostly to get you out of that high risk and then to get you out. So it's not their place. I think people think you go there to get help and you really don't get that help because they're just overwhelmed. It's like an emergency room for mental health almost. Yeah. So you're in a wing, you're locked down. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're in the cafeteria, you stand in line for this, stand in line for that. And yeah, there was fights in the food line because there wasn't enough desserts. One, you know, like it's a weird experience when you're For me, like I'm a professional, you know, worker, like around just a mix of people that are struggling. It makes you, um, you realize how big of a problem and there's all types of disorders and all types of people. And probably the only thing that's positive I found is you can really be yourself there because we all know why the other person's there, right? Mm -hmm. We're not hiding our mental health issues, so... So did you have interactions with other people there that were helpful? Like, can you speak to any of those? I think the staff is definitely very good. They're, they're just overwhelmed because like say group therapy or something, it's a mix of people with mixed conditions and addictions and stuff like that. So it's based on, you know, the lowest level kind of stuff. So it was really hard to get much out of some, you know, like, yeah, we went back to, you guys should try exercise or yoga and meditation, all the stuff mm-hmm. I've done. So it, some of that was hard. And to get one-on-one, I couldn't even get in while my three weeks I was in there or two weeks I was in there the first time. Um, 
to get in to see someone one-on-one. Those things are tough and those things have to change. Well, that's what I'm curious is once you're discharged from an inpatient type setting like that, which, you know, is significant, has it been easy for you to then continue getting counseling and, you know, um, follow up with meds and stuff? Or has it been, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'd like you to speak to it. How hard has it been to develop a long-term sustainable strategy? It's really hard. I went in um, November 2019, the first time. They did give me some meds. We did some checks there. I took it as like I've done everything in my life, though, is just go full force. So I was like, I want to get out here, out of there as fast as possible. So you do the right thing. I ran an hour exercise time. There was no treadmill. There was no other stuff. So I had to run when I could and do some training like that just to get, I felt to actually help my mental health, I had to get outside, which is limited. So it was, it was tough. And then I got out and to see a psychiatrist, it's not easy. They're well booked. It's not covered like other specialists. So you need good work coverage, but you still have to pay up front. You still have to get in. And then for me, it was COVID came in the spring and all those resources disappeared or went to teleconference or not at all. And so it kind of disappeared any kind of help. And I ended up back there 2020 of April after uh, I attempted suicide of an overdose of my meds, actually, <laughs> because I had struggled during that time of bouncing in between those six months. I had six different types of medication. I went off on my own, came back on my own. When I needed help, I couldn't get it because of COVID. Even my own like medical doctor and stuff, it was you know through through emails and such to get drug doses. So it, it was tough. It was a tough time. So from your point of view, is part of the problem that it's hard to access the support that you need in your regular everyday life, presumably when these struggles are are bubbling up for you, right? And then you. So there's no support, no support, no support. And then when there's an emergency, okay, here, go into the, the inpatient hospital. It's sort of like, yes, <laughs> not the right model. <laughs> Is that, I'm trying to be sensitive it's to feast or famine. Yeah. Yes, that's 100%. Unfortunately, with mental health, you have to basically, unless you get really lucky, um, and I have a really good therapist now, but uh, you basically need to hit rock bottom before you can get help and the help isn't really help it's just alarm bells i guess so that's why i i actually for anyone that follows me on social media i do get a little um rantish with these mental health awareness days and bells let's talk because we need to move beyond that because talk doesn't do anything or doesn't keep us you know getting the treatment we need. I think a lot of people think, well, there's like, yeah, they'll send you away and you'll be fixed. But that's, most experiences are so bad for most people is because most people are just trying to get out of there. They'll, you know, they'll say anything, get out and uh, (laughs) never want to get help again. Like, and that's what I got out of it. (laughs) This incentivizes the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could wave your magic wand and put the supports in place, that would be more helpful. So we get out of this cycle of people not being able to access the help and then all of a sudden being in an emergency situation. What would be a better system from your point of view, having lived with mental health illness yourself? I think if we just treated that 
the illness um, and the issue, just like we do everything else. I'll compare it to my, my surgery, you know, like I was able to see, get into ultrasound, a surgeon, a hospital, really easy during COVID for that kind of stuff. But you basically have to almost attempt suicide to get help or you're waiting for months. Like I went back after I got out the second time in May and I hit rock bottom and realized I need to change a lot before I ruined all my connections and, um, you know, family life and stuff. I needed, I, I need to hit rock bottom, but you shouldn't have to, <laughs> you should be able to get that. But even then, when I got back to get a, my meds checked that I promised I would stay on to, you know, to my whole support crew was that I believe I couldn't get back in until it was into November to see. And that was through a teleconference to a government psychiatrist, or you try to go through a private one. And it's, it's still was no one was seeing people face to face. And when you have social anxiety and other issues, some of it needs to be face to face, but uh, like, so my psychiatrist though, I do meet through a telecom, but at the, um, mental health office with my therapist she comes in so it's it's easier for me you know the parallelism between you know we started this whole podcast maybe it's not parallelism it's compare and contrast with the fact that yeah you tore your pec you had surgery if, you know a couple weeks later and and you're going to heal now you know when when you injure a limb they don't wait until the person is asking for an amputation <laughs> No. before they, you know, before you get help. It's not always visible either. Sometimes you need diagnostic tests to see the injury, right? Whereas yeah. with, with mental health, it's essentially like you're, yeah, suicide is trying to cut it all off, right? And we, we shouldn't wait until that point. Okay, so you've mentioned previous in the podcast here how you are a very high-functioning person. You're a high-functioning athlete, father, biologist. You have a career, which is something I would think that probably isn't always common for somebody with mental health illness. Tell us a bit about that. Like, how do you manage to stay so high-functioning with with this illness that you're dealing with? Yeah, well, I think it's hard to state because I think so many people hide it well. I think no one knew my level of issues until I hit rock bottom. So it is a tough one, but I, I do think when you read the literature and, um, you know, talking to mental health specialists, it is rare. I think most people do struggle that have it bad. They're in bed. They're, they're just not motivated where I've kind of used that to my advantage, especially in uh, endurance events. I know there's going to be a dark time, at 100k and 100 mile or wherever it is, it's going to suck, but we'll get over it. Just like I know the thoughts in my head or my paranoia isn't real, I'll get through it if I just keep moving forward. And so, some of it I've used, I think, to make up for some athletic ability. My mental game going into ultra is really good. I'm like, I'm just going to run for, you know, 20 to 30 hours and. I fight my mind all the time. So actually seeing some good scenery and being around people is actually a cakewalk. So what other people fear at ultra, I don't really feel that. <laughs> so it's, and that's, just, you know, the advice I give to new people dealing with ultras, 
there's going to be times that it sucks. It's not all Instagram. It's not all life changing. This is fun. This is, you know, the best thing in my life. I'm on top of peak because I've been on peaks and they're nasty and there, there might be some suck, but it, it will go away and you'll get to that finish line. And it's kind of, that's how I think I've been able to use my mental health issues and move forward. Just like the career and such like that is just, you're fighting all the time. So you might as well um, do it in a positive way. Do it in a 240 mile race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, this, this is fascinating to me because yeah, I mean, most athletes, endurance athletes train the physical and, and that's, their biggest fear is not performing physically and they forget the mental game. You've had a lifetime of training the mental game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I imagine if you get into dark holes in, in the middle of the night, it's not an unfamiliar place for you. You can kind of have a bit of perspective. Yeah. Like, yeah, for me, it's like I have a tattoo down my forearms after my suicide attempt was, I will not quit and I will not survive on the other arm is because I don't quit in ultras because, I mean, it's not really that bad. So I'm a little tired, you know, there's some aches. There's way worse things in life when you've been rock bottom, being, you know, a little nauseated and tired isn't really a big deal. Where I've succeeded in, you know, had a good race and, you know, podiumed well or something like that is later in the race and still have a decent, you know, mindset and my head's still in the game. Well, and I think I've seen on your social media and, and perhaps around the, the Bell Let's Talk Day that recently happened about we need to talk about this more. We need to have open conversations here to, to start moving the needle. And you say talking's not enough, but it's the it's a step along the way that really does yeah. need to happen. So I'm curious. So first of all, thank you for that. Like we need more people talking about this, right, to make this conversation like an ongoing thing that people understand like people who don't have any experience with it or don't know anybody that's that's struggled like we need to hear stories like yours so thank you again for coming on the podcast <laughs> and sharing this story I I seriously hope that this helps you feel more free right and, and and pays it forward a little bit like all that you've gone through but having said all that have things changed for you since deciding to be more open about about your challenges with mental health? Do you feel like the stigma is, is lifting? Um, I think at times, I think, I think people that know me or I guess follow me on social media or whatever, I, I think hopefully some of them reflect and I know it's come up is like, just because you have a mental health, health illness and such, like I talked before, you're not laying in bed and all the time, like there's, mm -hmm. you can be doing stuff. Like, I mean, in those six months, between hospital visits, I did an Ironman and did I think a, the the backyard uh, quarantine hundred k on my on my treadmill. Actually, my first <laughs> big ultra on a treadmill. But you could do a lot of different things, and so hopefully people will start to accept that they're just we're not all out to kill people and kill ourselves and you know talking out loud and you know on the corner of the street kind of stuff just to put a, a face that we can accomplish a lot of stuff that some of the stuff is much harder for us but i think i think the feedback i've got it's getting out there um i know you had uh Juno on your uh, podcast a little further with his uh trash stigma run 
that was great. Um, what I did uh, last year was I virtually joined that race and did 100K while he was doing 100K in my local area. And I did one kilometer circles of my, of my block. And I didn't know how it would be supported the community. And it was, you know, to bring mental health well mental health awareness and of those hundred laps i never did a lap alone oh, wow wow and i'm not a group runner <laughs> um <laughs> did that drive you crazy <laughs> yeah, like i even started a run club and races but i don't like group runs because the anxiety um is too much but yeah so that event i actually tried to figure out you know I'd been out of the hospital for a month, maybe at that point. You kind of get yourself ready and how emotional that day was going to be. But with all kinds of support, um, it wasn't. Like neighbors ran with me that I, I don't think ever run. Uh, you know, and people were were along the block with water and stuff like that. They saw us running and honking the horn. So it was, it was neat. So it, it, it obviously does help. I don't want it to be lost what you said here. You know, sometimes the people who you would least expect to be battling or challenged with mental health illness are, right? Like, you know, at a distance, a person would look at you and go, wow, this is a super accomplished Ironman triathlete and ultra runner. He's done the Canadian death race like five times and he's done Moab 240 and he's got this amazing family and this career. And underneath that all, you're really struggling. So things aren't always as they appear. And you kind of coming out and, and speaking more um, hopefully gives other people courage to do the same. So on that note, we are called the Inspired Souls Podcast. Um, has there been anyone significant in your life that has inspired your soul? <laughs> and and why? I have people that I, I do look up to as for runners, um, one is an, another fellow Manitobian, uh, Bert Blackbird. I paced the first 100 miles of his two uh, charity runs um, for Huntington disease. And uh, I saw what he went through trying to get those race like nonstop from what was it, Regina to Brandon. And then we did uh, New Star, so current to Brandon. And uh, just seeing what he would do just for awareness, that inspired me. It showed me of the physical side how much you could push your body, and it, it kind of inspired me to push to put those two things together. Um, if you could be that full package, it'd be pretty pretty amazing. And then I did get to run last year with someone that it's inspired me, Andy uh, Seward. He uh, ran across Canada, I believe now twice, all the way, and then one half running while. Uh, picking up garbage. Wow. Yeah. I ran the one day, I think like 30 K with him and uh, it was amazing. He was just picking up garbage as much as he could, you know, until he could carry with a stroller. And uh, it was inspiring. He, he camps. So everything he has is in his thing, like his little stroller that carries the garbage and the recycling and drops the recycling off at little schools or other places for, for them. And yeah, it was running just to run which was really cool too that's amazing we all need those people <laughs> who inspire yeah. us right what is your message for everyone like so for that person who maybe doesn't have firsthand experience with mental health illness what do you wish they would know and for somebody listening who may be th deep in the trenches with it 
what message do you have for them? Oh, <laughs> um, I haven't really thought of it that way. I, I think for anyone dealing with it is just um, seek that help and we can do amazing things uh, out there with, with our mental health illness. So uh, don't, I think just don't get you know, tied down to the label of, mm-hmm. of mental health illness. So that's what I, I want them and, you know, to be safe. Uh, I mean, someone that hasn't, um, it's almost the same thing is just that uh, you probably don't know what someone's dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, again, we need to be kind to each other and give each other some leeway on some of those days and, and uh, let people with mental health, health illness um, get the treatment and treat them like you would if your coworker has cancer or something like that, they, they, they need help. They need that support as well. It, it shouldn't be awkward and hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Great comments and advice. Okay, before we get into our rapid fire questions here at the end of this podcast, I want to ask you, what is exciting you now? What's next for 2021? I'm sure you have a, a list. <laughs> yeah, well, everything's been rolled over basically from 2020. I mean, as racers, we all know 2020 was a rough year. Uh, I was still able to get I think, four ultras done. I did get 100 mile in person in the fall last year. So that was good. Um, so 2021, I have I have two Ironman, uh, Ironman Canada and Ironman uh, Coeur d'Alene. If the borders uh, gets open and we have big events. I did have Calgary Marathon where I was trying to BQ and it's got moved to the fall. So that's actually now worked out really good <laughs> since that training has been put on hold for a little bit. I actually had a 100 miler as well in Utah at the end of April, I was hoping to go with my, uh, run it with my dog. I've done enough hundreds that I really was looking for something unique. And um, this one allows you to run with your dog off leash outside of aid station. Wow. And um, you, I, they're registered as a runner. And so in the aid stations, they're allowed into the aid stations, allowed aid station food, water, support, whatever. So, um, that's awesome. <laughs> Is that ever cool? Yeah. So I was really looking forward to that. Again, obviously, with the border closure issue, it's probably not going to happen, but I can roll over to next year. But yeah, so I was looking for different goals. They all kind of had a theme. 100 miler was to be my dog. Two Ironman is to get me to 12, which gets me into the Kona Legacy program, which means I can race Kona. And then I had Lost Souls 100K to keep in the Western States lottery. Yeah. And then the Calgary Marathon was to try to EQ because I I do want to run Boston one day. What's your BQ time? I think it's 3.20. So I did a 3.21. So it's kind of close. But anyone that runs that distance knows that even a couple of minutes. Is, uh, <laughs> um, I probably don't do myself any favors by running like an ultra at you know, a month before, or a couple of weeks before, or, you know, I wish I could be strict enough and disciplined enough to uh, really focus on that because I think it's there, but it's a tough goal. I, I have all the respect. I know some ultra runners and trail runners trash road running, but I think the BQ is, is tougher than a lot of hundred miler races that I've done. I finished those. I haven't BQ'd, so <laughs> mm-hmm. it's hard. 
you just have too many goals. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how intentional you are, though. Like each race seems to have a purpose and it's yeah. getting you to the next goal, right? Like you're in the Western States Lottery Circus and you're trying to get to Kona. And so let's finish the podcast here with our rapid fire questions. You've listened to this podcast enough that you probably know what's coming. Yep. <laughs> so first question, do you have a go-to mantra? Yeah, I think it's embrace the suck that I go to the most. Being a, at an army base, you hear it lots on the physical side, but I actually consider it more on the mental side, the dark spots. So I embrace those. I know it's going to happen in a race, but uh, embrace it, move on. Excellent. Okay, so if you could be dropped anywhere in the planet right now to run, not in a race, just to run, where would it be? I have ran a little bit in the Alps. I, I think it's a beautiful place. I think that would be high on the list. And Grand Cache still is where my heart is um, through Death Race. I love running there. Two amazing places. <laughs> yeah. And you've listed a whole bunch of races in your in what was exciting you next, what's coming yeah. up next. So do you ha- could you pick a favorite of any of those? Do you have a bucket list race? Um, well, I think I split it up in three disciplines. It's Kona, Boston, Western States are kind of goals. But a bucket list that I don't have to um, qualify for would probably be the 200 Triple Crown. Ooh. Wow. And this is, you've, you've given perfect example of how we can't put you in a box. I mean, you have a road race goal, a trail race goal, a triathlon goal, yeah. a, you know, it's, it's great. You're a very versatile athlete. Yeah. Okay. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So favorite book or movie? Again, as a person that has a hard time uh, concentrating, <laughs> I don't read a ton and I rarely can watch a movie to the finish. But if I was to pick one, I really enjoyed uh, Iron War. It's about triathlon. It's about uh, the 89 Kona World Championship where uh, Mark Allen and Dave Scott had a rivalry where Allen had lost to Scott, I think, five times. And they raced within one to two seconds, the whole Ironman until the final miles where Alan finally beat Scott. But the footage is amazing. They are basically side by side, stride for stride for miles. They both broke the world record at their pace. The backstory of that book is just how that rivalry went. And they did, you know, after a fact, I think, you know, they got along, but there was, <laughs> they were truly competing out there. Yeah, like, so It's it's neat to see someone that Alan had been successful in, you know, a whole bunch of different races, but not Ironman and not the world championship and how much it meant to him. Mm-hmm. And the other guy was Mr. Kona. And yeah, it was interesting. A legendary year for sure. That one. Yeah. So final question. Do you have a favorite post run indulgence? I like to have a good old bacon cheeseburger. Grand Cash uh, Burger is fantastic. <laughs> After death race, I think about it halfway through always. And another one is that uh, I like a blizzard. I'm ice cream. I don't like other stuff, but ice cream is one of my things. So. Well, I'm on the wait list for CDR this year. And if they manage to let me in, I'll have to uh, go for a cheeseburger after. Yes, Maybe we'll see right. you there. Yeah. 
This has been an amazing conversation as I knew it would be. A little backstory to this is I've asked you, I don't know, maybe 57 times to come on this podcast. (laughs) And I'm so glad that you finally agreed. So where can people find you if they want to reach out to you or follow you on social media? I'm probably the easiest and um, the one where I kind of share kind of my mixed adventures of racing and biology and such is uh, Instagram. Uh, My label is... uh, wild meat athlete so i'm not a vegan (laughs) (laughs) that's okay (laughs) awesome so wild meat athlete on instagram yeah and my and shane mascaran on facebook okay so we'll put a link to those in our show notes thank you so much for coming on and uh, we wish you the best of luck in all your racing in 2021 okay thank you